about hunkering down with Peter Schorsch, is former House Speaker, Will Weatherford. Speaker, how are you? Doing great, Peter. Thanks for having me on. This is exciting. You know you're like one of my favorite people. I'm almost intimidated, you know, looking at you on the Skype. It's amazing. You know, I'm finally getting a little Weatherford FaceTime right now. How busy have you been right now? You know, I've been, I've stayed busy, probably like you. I don't do really well when I'm not active. And so I'm staying busier on other things. I mean, I'm still, work is still busy, but I'm busy with my kids. I'm busy with my wife. I'm reading more. I'm enjoying, um, you know, the fact that the world has stopped in a way that we may never experience again in our lifetime. And so just recognizing it for what it is and trying to make the most of it. And, you know, also trying to find ways to help people because uh, there's a lot of suffering taking place out there. You and I have kids or I, your kids are about the same age as Ella Joyce. And I do feel like they were just about to get away from us. Like, you know, and it was like, we were becoming, like secondary to their friends and their social environment and everything like that. And, you know, that went on hold for a second. And I almost, I'm very grateful for that, that that has happened here, that um, just as Ella was getting very interested and, you know, oh, I want a phone and I want to know what Josie's doing and all that, suddenly we got to put the pause button on. Yeah, it's almost like we almost became uncool to our kids and now that we're locked up with them for six weeks it's proved it so now they know now they know that we're uncool but there's nothing yeah. to do about it <laughs> <laughs> i feel kind of bad for them like i've heard i've heard from a lot of like other dad friends who have said like kids in the 10 11 12 13 um age group are having a lot of trouble because they they had made that transition to like mm-hmm. where the social aspect of their life was the thing that they were most concerned of. And now you've had to pull them away from it. And so I've had a lot of like, I'm thinking about a friend who's got a fourth grader and she's kind of depressed now because, you know, she hasn't been able to wire in with her friends or anything like that. It's, I mean, it, you know, people have used this term, but I think it's, it's accurate. It's like we're in a war. We're in a war against the healthcare pandemic and now maybe an economic pandemic. But uh, for our kids who are experiencing it, there's this macro event taking place that's changed everything about the way that they the way they think the world works, and they don't fully understand it. They know it's a big deal, um, but it's 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 but that's the, the the extremities that we're going to are akin to if we were in a substantial military conflict. And it's like you know people are scared. It's like think about living in in Great Britain during World War II. It's like hey, you got to yeah. stay indoors because they're bombing today. You know, and so. There's, uh, it's obviously not that scary, but, but I would say the social impact it's having is equivalent. Um, I want to ask, have you been involved like with the, the chamber of commerce and kind of their, uh, plans to re or plan or advice on reopening and that kind of thing? I know you've been involved in the chamber, but I didn't know if you were still I've able been, to do it. Yeah, well. I've been active you know, with the chamber, uh, probably the, the thought groups that I've been involved in would be the Florida Chamber, the Florida Council 100, and then the American Enterprise Institute on a national level. And all three of them doing a lot of great work. The Florida Chamber, you know, just I, I think when it comes to educating businesses and helping people know what's actually happening, um, I'm not sure anybody in Florida is doing a better job than they are right now. Uh, pretty incredible. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate all their efforts because this is, uh, it's a confusing time for a lot of people in a lot of companies. They, uh, they definitely have got a flex going on right now. Um, I guess it's easy to be the Florida Chamber when 
your two and a half percent unemployment and everything's raw raw um there could be you know i could see where you know they could be not involved and hey we're we're not we're not a reactionary force we're a cheerleading and economic supportive force but they have gone that way and have really gotten into the nuts and bolts and have communicated with their members you know the governor seems to be listening to them uh pretty closely or at least some of their members it seems i mean i i know a lot of it's happening behind the scenes but they are uh, they're really at the peak of their powers right now yeah i think from a relevance perspective they've never been more relevant than they are right now because they're a channel to communicate to the thousands of companies that are out there that are trying to understand what all this means for them and you know when the governor rolls out a phase one of what opening up the economy looks like, you know, it requires some clarification. It requires some context. Chamber is able to really do that. And um, so, yeah, I agree. I think, I think they are flexing. And I think, you know, as opposed to engaging in the normal food fights in Tallahassee that maybe the chamber has to, to you know, combat, this is kind of an all hands on deck. We're just trying to salvage businesses, not necessarily uh, get into regulatory disputes. Um, I feel very blessed because, um, I'm kind of the um, court jester for a club uh, known as the X Speakers Club, which I don't know if you all know that you're part of this club, but I interact with five or six of you all at different levels and at different times, but uh, pretty consistently. And um, it's like, like, you know, Dean working with Dean Cannon, you know, like on the Gray Robinson reaction and you know, he's got a firm and what are they doing there? And um, but then, you know, I've spoken a lot with Speaker Corcoran, you know, like just arguing with him about how he's wrong about things about, you know, you know, that um, like I, I there was like a whole couple of chain uh, text messages going back and forth about modeling and things like that. And then what was interesting was I had a conversation this week. I, I don't know if you saw or not, but. Speaker Oliva kind of, he's had these emails yeah. and um, they just have been moving more and more to like a Reddit subgroup <laughs> theme to them. And I told one of our reporters, I'm like, I think people need to know what's going on in here. And he and I finally got to talk um, and I'm gonna keep the contents of that conversation to, to myself, but I will say to him, I'm like, you know, there's a time in every speaker's life when they finally start talking to me and it's either early or it's later, but I've, I just feel blessed because there's just such insight. And now it's like, I can just see like, even though he's not gonna, he's not gonna be able to do anything for me politically, he does offer just this very unique uh, perspective, this kind of neo-libertarian perspective. And so yeah. it's interesting talking to all of you because um, you are all Republicans, but you're very different in yeah. uh, the way you approach things. Well, it's kind of like your kids, right? They can grow up in the same house. They have the same parents, the same basic experiences, and yet they're completely different. Yeah. You know, the Florida house is its own house, and it grooms speakers. And even though we all grew up with the same challenges and a lot of the same issues that we faced, uh, how we go about our job and our personalities and how we use our personalities uh, are different. And so it's it's kind of what makes a family special, right? It's everybody's got their own role and their their differences. And um, that, that's what makes us unique. Now you, um, you've worked 
on a prosperity initiative for the last, I don't know, what has it been now? Is it like four or five years? Is that, um, <clears throat> in a way that was, I don't want to, I don't want to dismiss it as an afterthought, but it was, Hey, we're dealing with this very kind of small sliver people that are not making it through this boom economy. Well, guess what? <laughs> now that sliver is, yeah. you know, is, is a mile wide. Um, is the mission of that of your work there of the chamber's work is that gonna is that gonna change over the next couple of years? I think it changes. I think it just becomes more important. Um, there are people who are consistently left behind in good and bad economies. They're they're forgotten. They live in the shadows. Um, they, regardless of how the stock market is trading at that day, it doesn't make any difference to them whatsoever. Um, and so there's just going to be a lot more people that are finding themselves in, in poverty situations. Now, it, it may be temporary because they may have a really good education and they may have family members who can help them. But nonetheless, uh, poverty in America is going to be a much bigger issue than it should be. And we still lack some of the basic just architecture to deal with poverty on a large-scale basis, particularly with those who have been impoverished for generations. But now it's it's going to be people who maybe for the first time in their life, maybe in the first time in multiple generations in their family's life, they will find themselves in poverty. And, and it's going to force us to ask ourselves some really tough questions and come up with some innovative solutions. I don't think uh, it doesn't seem to be a connection between what the stock market is doing and what any of us are doing as you know, as you say that at the beginning, I mean, it's like best month in 33 years. Um, it just, I, to me that it's almost a little dangerous. Yeah, we lost 30 million jobs in a month, and the S&P had its best month in 33 years. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Well, and I, th I think that also sets up a political problem for a lot of people. So, I mean, that turns into some French Revolution stuff right there. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and I and I kind of fell to it this week. Like, you know, as I'm living in my house, I have a banner out here. We we decorated our, uh, like, think Christmas lights, but we did patriotic. And I wanted to, like, inspire the neighborhood. Um, but I put a sign out there, or I had a banner made, and it said, you know, stay home, stay healthy, stay strong. And people did not like that banner because they did not want, uh, you know, perceived to be well-to-do person in his big house here telling them to stay home, you know, as they're, you know, you know, scurrying for the the ends of a job and so i actually ended up taking that banner down and getting a, just a more nondescript political one but i think you're going to have that i think you're going to you know you keep yeah. you have stockbrokers with their best week uh while people are out of work you're gonna have some political problems that go beyond even like tea party stuff or anything like that yeah i mean it's like if you work in a service oriented job and you're an hourly employee or your, you know, a forty sub forty thousand dollar a year employee. I mean, the impact of this is like ten x to somebody who can work from home on their computer, is selling software, or is you know an accountant or a lawyer. I mean, it's just it has so much more impact on their life than it does so many others. And so I agree with you. This disruption in the market um, is is you know it. it it is going to affect classes differently, and it, it does have huge political ramifications. I'm not even sure we understand what they'll be or where those people will align, but one thing we can be certain of is it's going to cause, there will be carnage from it. 
I know your advice is, I know that I can't afford it, but can you give us an, a peek into the advice that you and, and you know, your brothers and your firm are offering to your clients right now? Yeah, I mean, I, we view the economic situation as one where, to your point earlier, the stock market and the economy are two different things. <clears throat> and there's never been a six-week period where more than two and a half million people have lost their job in the history of the world, of America. So that's the Great Depression, that's the Great Recession 12 years ago. Um, in the last six weeks, we've lost 30 million jobs. So like, think of, think of it, it, it's 12 times. Um, and even if you assume that everything goes back to normal, or even some semblance of normal in the next 60 days, or 90 days, or, 600, or you know, 100 days, you know, people are not going to hire everybody back. If you fired 5,000 people over the last 60 days, your company, you're not hiring them all back, even if the post looks clear, because people are just going to be nervous about adding that, that cost structure to the company. So I say that to say, I think we're at the very beginning of the end. Um, I think we feel better about the pandemic and what's happening with COVID-19, with the therapeutics and you know, hopefully a vaccine in the next year or so. But the economic pandemic is just beginning. There's two mm. pandemics going on. We're getting our arms around one of them. The other one is very much unknown and at the very early stages. So, I, you know, our advice is, you know, in the, in the companies, we own 13 companies today that we're investors in, and we're making sure those companies are prepared for what's coming. And luckily, we're in, we're in industries that have been not, I'm going to say they're not impacted, but they've been minimally impacted compared to others. We don't own restaurants. We don't own retail and things of that nature. But, you know, <clears throat> fortunately for us, um, there will be opportunities that come out of this. There will be new industries that emerge. There will be uh, companies that will be uh, valued at a much more appropriate uh, uh, way than they would have been six months ago. I mean, if you look at where the market was six months ago, both public and private, things were just way, way more expensive than they should have been. Uh, valuations were through the roof. This is going to bring all that down to earth, and it's going to create opportunities for people who are patient for people who are wise with their capital and are ready to deploy it in those opportunities. And that's what we're positioning ourselves for. Uh, people are not going to be able to see it, but I see the smirk, the almost the the smile, or the, you know, the, the cat getting ready to eat the canary there. And I, that's something I said from the beginning to people. I'm like, there are so many Bobby Axelrods that are going to be made here, you know, that they're going to just be, you know, and I'm not just talking about shorting stuff. I'm talking about, you know, moving your, your, your capital. And that's why I do understand why the stock market is up. The stock market is where we organize capital to invest in companies so that they can do what they need to do. And there's a lot of opportunity out there, you know? And I mean, they're just, there's, I mean, you know, I, I don't know what those opportunities are per se, but you know I know what some of them are and you can see the shifts that are happening. I mean, one of the things that's, you know, I think that we have to recognize is all these companies right now are investing in um, work from home technology. Yeah. Um, they're not gonna just throw that away in 60 days now. And so, you know, what does commercial real estate look like? What does uh, WeWork look like? What does any, you know, and so, the companies have made this investment and they're not going to back off of that. So what does that look like in step two, step three? Um, I, I, I do find that kind of fascinating. I, I find 
and it's easy to do it when you're, you know, perched up here over in, you know, St. Pete and not having to hustle every day for a job. But I do find this whole situation fascinating because it's resetting. I can't think of a field that it's not resetting at this point, whether it be yeah. economics, politics, hospitality, travel, transportation. It's just and if you like public policy, as you and I do and the, uh, and the listeners of this podcast do, I think the the real challenge you have to do is like, all right, I can only focus on these two or three things. I can't solve the whole pandemic by myself. Yeah. And so I'm going to work on how do we do this in St. Petersburg? How do we rethink real estate in St. Petersburg or something like that? So or maybe even a step further. You know, we were already going through what, what a lot of people consider to be the fourth industrial revolution in the world. You know, first one being things like the steam engine, the second one being things like cars and airplanes, the third being computers, right? This fourth one being the utilization and uh, the ability to uh, contort and use big sources of data yeah. and artificial intelligence. That was already happening before this took place. But what it's done is it's accelerated it. So if you think about like, well, you know, if you're, if you're asking yourself like what's going to happen in the future, where are the industries that are going to be created? Like look to what big data can provide, look to what artificial intelligence is doing and where it's going. Um, it, we are in the midst of a dramatic shift and COVID-19 puts just put it on steroids. It was already happening. Now it's just bang happening a lot faster. Uh, do you listen to Eric Weinstein? Do you listen to Eric Weinstein's podcast? No. Okay. Joe Clemens actually turned me on to it. Um, and I guess he's an advisor to Peter Thiel. And basically the thing he was just saying in his last podcast was, and I keep hearing those words, it was already happening. So yeah. think about all the things that were already happening. What COVID-19 was is said, all right, now they're done. Like, And so like one of the examples he was using was Saudi Arabia MBS was going to spend 25 years trying to transition that economy. I mean, they had a, you know, a trillion dollar, they hoped to have a trillion dollar IPO and they were going to build a city in the desert, you know, and all of this stuff. And, but he thought he had decades to do that. Yeah. And now he's got six months. Yeah. And so, and that's happening on 30 different industries, right? Like, you know, you think about the, the movie theater business, like that could be over tomorrow. I mean, you know, if people get used to video on demand, who's going to go back to a movie theater next week? I think it's already over since Trolls 2 sold more uh, in its first three weeks uh, going on demand than it did in the movie theaters. Yeah. I, I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, well, but tell that to uh, AMC and all those folks who, um, and tell that to, you know, the commercial real estate folks who have built you know, huge complexes around what, what, it, what, why do we go downtown at this point? If, if not for restaurants, movie theaters, sports bars, like if yeah. you're taking out sports and you're taking out movie theaters, why am I going to your downtown anymore? Well, I mean, think about it. Companies and industries don't die easily, right? I mean, right. They, they scratch and claw their way till the end, but there's a reason why we call it being disrupted. When a company or an industry is disrupted, it's disrupted. It's a it's a violent change. It's one where there's there is carnage, there is damage being done. It's, it's not always good. It's good for some and a few. Sometimes it's really bad for everybody else. So, 
yeah, if you own a bunch of movie theaters, um, I'm sure you're going to fight your, you're going to try to fight your way through this and convince everybody to come back, but the ship has sailed and you know, that, that, that story has been written. Well, you know, as I, as I talk to you, I'm thinking everybody's going to move to Wesley chapel because you can buy a house there. You know, the whole, the whole downside to living in Wesley chapel was you're 25 minutes or, you know, 25 miles from downtown or you're whatever. Um, now that doesn't matter, right? Now you can get a you can get a house that you know you can get five times the house, and you don't have to worry about you know getting to work anymore. Um, and so you're gonna have a lot of new neighbors. All right, let me ask you my my couple of questions because we'll land the plane here. Um, when did coronavirus get real for you? Coronavirus got real for me. Um, it was actually late January, and. I was having lunch with a Fortune 500 CEO that will remain nameless, but that CEO has 50,000 employees in China and uh, about 15,000 in Wuhan. And I just kind of asked him, uh, you know, almost kind of as a sidebar, like, hey, how bad is it over there? I'm reading about it. Sounds concerning. Obviously, we had not had any cases over here. and I don't even think Europe had had any cases at that at that stage. But I said, it sounds pretty serious if China's shutting down. And the look on this person's face and the way that he went on to articulate how bad it was, how seriously contagious this disease is, the lengths that the Chinese government was going to to shut it down. And he basically said, when this disease or this virus gets to the United States, it's going to be devastating. And I, it was just kind of one of those moments where I hadn't even contemplated uh, the severity of this disease until that moment. And then I went home and, you know, started thinking about it and, you know, made some personal decisions and had some conversations internally with my partners and said, hey, guys, we need to, we need to get ready. This is this is happening. So I, I actually feel really blessed because that gave me like a 45 day head start on uh, otherwise where I would have, when that, when the light bulb would have come on normally, it, it really helped accelerate my thinking by about a month. And um, that, so that was the first time I, I even contemplated it. It we was still a month away from when it hit us, but we started making changes and preparations at that moment. You're basically saying cash is king um, because I can just imagine the email and you probably had to convince some, I don't know, some hesitant, you know, um, um, clients, hey, we want to pull some stuff out and get you into either conservative or even into cash or whatever. And at the time, the market's booming, you know, yeah. and so you're, you're like, what? Are you crazy? Um, off, of, off of that, because I just read something last night in Bloomberg, and I've made the dangerous mistake of trying to get invested in the stock market. And I probably doubled down on my danger by listening to Jeff Brandis. Um, <laughs> I forget I forget he's got like margin, like he can lose all of his money in this stock that he just recommended to me and it doesn't hurt. And where I'm just like, hey, I had seven shares and now I'm wiped out. What are you doing? Um, the um, investors are not, they think that there's gonna be one more dip here. Like that there's, that they, they're holding on to buy the dip one more time, at least, uh, before, uh, which is which is fascinating because you're like, all right, wait a second, we're record setting, and then you're going to dip one more time. I mean, it's like that level of volatility. I don't know how you guys 
you know, I couldn't, I can't do it when I bet $10 at the track. I don't know how you guys do it yeah. with this level of volatility. Well, there is going to be a dip, but I think it's, it's important to, to differentiate the market from the economy. The economy has not recovered at all. The economy is deteriorated consistently every week for six weeks. The stock market has recovered because the federal government has pumped $6 trillion into the system with quantitative easing and stimulus plans. Um, there's going to be a lot of all these hardcore conservatives who, um, you know, are been, have been complaining and bitching about uh, the fact that the federal deficit was in, you know, 22, 23 trillion. Wait till they watch it go to 30 in a two year span under their watch. And I'm not, I'm not trying to second guess the decisions that have been made. I'm just saying we've been spending money first and asking questions later, more so than under any era in the history of our country, largely under Republican control. So um, when you throw that kind of money in a system and when the Fed basically says, we're not gonna let things fail the way that they typically would in this circumstance, you artificially prop up the market. The problem mm -hmm. It's not sustainable long term. So eventually, you know, those those goodies that the Fed can put out and all these stimulus bills, they wear off. And so it's like, what's the long term implications of this? And that's what we don't know. So that's why there'll probably be a dip. But I would also say the blessing in weather for capital is we don't buy publicly traded companies. We don't invest in the stock right. market. Yeah. We buy private companies. And so the harder the harder part for us was how do you convince a CEO in February who thinks everything's great that he needs start basically gearing up for war and not just war, but like trench warfare uh, and hand-to-hand -hand combat. And that's not an easy conversation to have with someone who doesn't see the world the way that you do. Luckily, everybody is drinking the Kool-Aid now, but decisions you make early are uh, really, really important. And by not making decisions early, the penalty for that is, you know, multiplied in the months ahead. All right. So if you're, if you started, thinking about Corona in January, do you remember what your first or your last um, normal day was like? Yeah, I do because it was my, it was the last day of my kids' spring break. It was the last day that I worked in the office it was sometime in the middle of March and before we officially, you know, had a lockdown and we were kind of, I was leaving the office that day and everybody was kind of leaving around the same time and we all kind of looked at each other and we're like, it's going to be a while, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> And we're like, yeah, it's going to be a while. And, and that I went home and I told my wife, I said, you know, they had not uh, canceled school for the year yet, but I said, they're going to cancel school for the year. Our kids are not going back. They're getting a five and a month, five and a half month, you know, summer this year. And so that, that day was the most real because I knew when I left the office, it was going to be a while before I went back. And I also knew my kids probably weren't going back to school. I remember that vividly. Mm. Uh, is are you helping in the homeschooling? Is is Courtney taking it on? Is you know, you know I'm kind of a designated PE coach and math tutor, <laughs> but, but apparently my uh, my skills as an educator are not as good as my wife's. Maybe it has to do with my patience level. I think I'm just not as patient as she is. And I had, uh, I had to help Ella with um, with first grade math the other day. Common Core math, and I was like, I circled like the question so I could go back and talk to the teacher. I'm like, what does a fact tree mean? And I'm like, what What do you mean six plus seven plus four equals ten? I'm like, where, where? I mean, and it was just, it was just so different. I had not looked at it, you know. I have not, you know, looked at math class in 25 years, and I just was blown away. 
uh, by how different it was. Wait till she gets to sixth grade, then you're really screwed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, all right, so while you're hunkering down, uh, got anything? I mean, I, I hate to admit how ignorant I was that you turned me on to Arthur Brooks. It was like, I felt like you had like, like turned me on to like, like a obscure jazz singer. And like, it was just like our thing. And then I came to like, realize like everybody, like, I mean, you got me in on the, like, not the ground floor. You got me in on like the third floor. And then that elevator just went up where it was like, he became one of the like leading public intellectuals. Um, I'm not looking for that heavy of a recommendation, but um, are you watching or reading or downloading anything that's, uh, you know, worth sharing? You know, I've, I've tried to, there's like different approaches to how you handle this shutdown. One of them is to like live in the fear zone and just be concerned and fearful of what's to come. Uh, there's another one which is positive, which is like you're just focused on learning and like being in a learning zone and reading and, uh, you know, getting smarter and taking an opportunity to just kind of uh, learn more in this, in this hiatus and this new time. And then the one I've, but the one I've tried to focus on is more of a growth zone. It's like, how can I grow during this time? I don't want to just learn. I want to grow. And so that's in a myriad of ways. It's like, how do I get more active physically? How can I build some good habits so that when we're out of this, you know, from just like a physical perspective and fitness, I'm better off than when we came in. How do I come into this to where I'm better off spiritually than when we came in? How can I set aside time to make sure that I'm, um, you know, spiritually growing? How can I grow academically? What are, what are books that I've wanted to read that I've never gotten around to? What are, what are things I've wanted to understand that I just couldn't do? So I, I don't have like that one silver bullet, Peter, because I think what the growth zone for me is may be very different than what it should be for somebody else. What I would challenge people to do and what I've tried to challenge myself is like, take this time, like, who are the people you're really grateful for that you've never told? Who are the people that need a lot of help that you normally wouldn't think about? What are the topics or areas that you've always wanted to understand but you just never had the time to do so. And is this why you haven't called me over the last six weeks? Is, is that where I, that's why I, I rank? So. I've, been, I've been in the growth zone. <laughs> so I, I've been really challenging myself on that. And I'm not even saying I've, I wouldn't even give myself an A plus or anything. I'm probably like a C. But that's where my head is. That's what I'm trying to um, spend my time on. Because this will pass and the world's going to come back and we're all going to be too busy again and we're all going to overwhelm ourselves. And I don't want to lose this moment with my family and, and with myself to grow. Well, I appreciate uh, you greatly if I haven't said it. And, uh, I, you know, it's always good to talk to you. I wish I wish I talked to you more. Um, you know, I feel like we do have really good chats. I feel like this is what this if I was. If you remember, like when I said I wanted to start podcasting, I was like, why don't you and I do a podcast together? Like, I felt like it would you would be the person that I would want to uh, bounce things off of. And you said that I would talk too much. And that's what <laughs> no. um, I just you, you found a much better co-host. That's for sure. I you know, she is like I can't wait. Like we've we put it on hold for a little bit while she's, um, you know, she's so we're also busy, but she's so busy now taking care of Ella, mm-hmm. um, you know, being full-time teacher. Um, and she hasn't wanted that to drop off. Um, so we haven't had as much time, but that it was really fun doing that podcast with her. 
Um, like I love, I, I don't know if you listen to it, but I'll put a plug in for it. But like that Sunrise podcast that Rick Flagg does, um, the people that do listen to it daily, it's really good. Like I will say I'm very proud of what he's doing. Like I, I it's kind of a fire and forget thing at this point. Like I don't have to get involved. I go over the script with them each day and check in on guests. But like I'll listen to like maybe one every couple of days. And I'm like, man, this is a if I didn't know politics and I was just coming to, you know, catch up on the issues with and get a little substance. Thought it was a pretty good podcast. So I'm um, I, I'm I'm liking this podcasting endeavor uh, as the next chapter and whatever, you know, I do. So, yeah, it's great. And I think you're doing a great job of it. And I think the demand for that kind of content is going to grow. So. I'm a, I'm a listener. All right, buddy. Well, when we need another investor, we know we know where to go, whether for capital. Okay. All right. Take care of you and your family, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Take care. All right, buddy.